This week's Major Spoilers podcast goes out to Matt Northup. And no, Stephen, it won't be Matt South Down next week. What's, what's wrong with you? I thought it was funny. And yeah, you thought it was funny. In any case, Matt, great name, by the way. Half of a great name. This one goes out to you. The Major Spoilers podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and goes into details about the topics discussed. So if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. I'm Matthew. I'm Rodrigo. And I'm Steven, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. In this issue, v 5 Peoples make comics and we review some. And what's up with the Future Foundation? Did your favorite title get the axe? Is Peter Parker really in the big time? Is Barry Allen actually a human sleeping pill? Side effects of the Flash include yawning, yawning, confusion, the strange feeling you're being turned into a puppet, flashbacks to 1983 skin allergies, fingernail sensitivity, and pelvic discomfort. Steven discusses his fantasies. Rodrigo wants to know how flexible you are. And pretty much anything purplicious. And we're on the subject, how's the wazoo? I should have been a pair of ragged claws scuttling across the floors of silent seas till human voices wake us and we drown. Splash! The Major Spoilers Podcast is on the air! Welcome, everyone, to this week's episode of the Major Spoilers Podcast. In case you missed it, uh, with Matthew breaking up there, what he really said was... <laughs> we, just really to clar- we just wanted to clarify for uh, that for you we guys start this over? week. We'll start over. Oh, no, it's much Hello? more fun this week. Rodrigo got Hello? a laugh. <laughs> Hello? Hello? Welcome back, Matthew. Welcome back, uh, Rodrigo. So glad to have Yay! you both on the show. How do, I, how do I sound? Do I sound like I'm coming in from space or from the colon of a sperm whale? Uh, this is it, it actually control to Major Tom. It actually sounds like you're you're being generated by a uh, computer. <laughs> Hello, I am the Matthew Three Thousand Unit, and no one has really ever seen here. Matthew in person. Uh, so maybe yep. you know null code <laughs> reference. Matthew, Matthew's what Matthew's what happens when that uh, voice reader, that very rudimentary voice reader for a Microsoft Word and a uh, comics <laughs> database got uh, got Get their codes on. got their codes crossed. <laughs> You suck, Rodrigo. I do not have to take that abuse from you. <laughs> All right, everybody. This week on the show, we've got a lot to talk about, including later on Joe Kelly's I Kill Giants uh, uh, trade. We've also got some other reviews. But first, let's get to some news. We've got three items this week on our uh, Wheel of Destiny. We've got DC cancels several books, Static Shock returns, and Spider-Man joins the FF. And gets a new costume to boot. Let's spin that wheel of destiny and let's see where it lands. Round it round it goes. Where it stops only quantized audio knows. Oh, number one, one, DC Comics cancels five titles. The brand new solicitations for May 2011 hit the Major Spoilers website this week. And, and people who are uh, uh, very astute observers of all the little details may have noticed that DC dropped five issues uh, in this upcoming month of month of May. Yeah. Don't uh, break your arm patting yourself on the back for your observation <laughs> skills there. <laughs> Batman and the Outsiders, number 40. Doom Patrol, number 22. Freedom Fighters, number 9. Rebels, 28. And JSA All-Stars, number 18. All get their final issues 
in May 2011. Matthew Go, I know you read some of these. I read 60% of these. Okay, um, which four do you read? Well, <laughs> 60% of five is three. There you go. Which three Thanks do you for read? playing, and you'll be home with some lovely parting gifts. Uh, I read and enjoy Doom Patrol. In fact, I've been having a lot of fun with Doom Patrol lately. I can't believe that uh, went 22, 22 issues that one went? Yeah. I just can't I believe can, it's been it almost good. two years. Yeah, that thing launched before Darkest Night. If you'll recall, there was a a Blackest Night crossover. That's right. Uh, I also, I don't read Rebels, but I do read Freedom Fighters. And honestly, that's no surprise. Freedom Fighters, Freedom Fighters, Freedom Fighters. Remember, kids, (laughs) meth is a hell of a drug. No, uh, the Freedom Fighters has been weirdly lackluster. And I don't know how to describe it other than, when you have a book that's called Uncle Sam and the Freedom Fighters, mm-hmm. and you take Uncle Sam out of the equation, yes, you know there's 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 an issue there. Palmiotti and Gray are good writers. The art isn't bad, but it's just really kind of generic stuff. It, you know, could have been Image. What are the other books getting canned? Uh, JSA All Stars, one of your favorite books. I dropped that around issue five. And Batman and the Outsiders number forty, which is odd because I think they're calling it, it used to be the Outsiders. And I think yes. for this issue, that's the final issue. They're calling it Batman and the Outsiders. Um, well, it launched as Batman and the Outsiders. Oh, yeah. And, and then, then it, it died, became just it became the, the Outsiders. Outsiders. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he actually became the Outsiders before he died, I think. I stopped reading that a long time ago, too. About the time when they had uh, Cassandra Cain, Batgirl, join, and then mm-hmm. she jumped off like the next issue. I was out yeah. after that. Doom Patrol, I've had- not really read. Uh, Freedom Fighters, same Rebels, I tried one or two issues and was tired of that. JSA All-Stars is kind of hit and miss for me, although I'm, I, I like Matthew Sturgis as a writer. And, of course, Freddie Williams the second on art. I mean, that should be a good combination, but apparently not if you can't get the sales. Rodrigo, well, you, you're the one that, you does, that doesn't read DC Comics. This is all your fault. Correct. Um, so. You know, it's, it's funny, though, because I saw a, an issue of Doom Patrol on the at our, our local... Uh, media type store and i was like hey i didn't know there was a new doom patrol volume yeah i should probably start reading this i like doom patrol hilariously enough it's getting canceled (laughs) i've been you know doing reviews of doom patrol off and on for two years i guess it just to me it doesn't seem that long just because we're seeing all this stuff all the time it just just doesn't seem like only yesterday yeah you know a lot of people are upset about this uh over on the twitter um Girl, girls reading comics at girlsreadingcomics.wordpress.com. She and I had a little conversation where she was lamenting the fact that all of these titles that she really, really likes are all getting the axe. And, you know, I told her, quite frankly, look at the bottom, look at the list of DC's books and look at the bottom. And that's probably where you're going to find most of these titles, which, again, goes back to what a lot of people say. If you want to support your favorite title, if you want to support your favorite artist or whatever, you need to go out and buy that book, and you need to encourage others to read and buy that book. Um, I would bet that Atomic Robo wouldn't be up to five volumes right now if it wasn't for the large number of people who, every time a review comes out, write glowing reviews and say, read this book, buy this book, and finally get people on board to read that book. Um, But this is also something where all, I think all five of these titles are at least volume two. Mm. Outsiders is in volume three. Freedom Fighters had like five limited series. They had a series in the 70s. 
I know that Rebels is, you know, either volume two or three because it spun out of Legion, which came back as Rebels. Yeah. And the Doom Patrol has got to be on volume five. These are safe titles to cancel because the Doom Patrol will come back in one form or another. So they will return. Yeah. The next time we have a huge earth shattering world spanning crossover. They'll come back. But I think the issue comes in not what the creative teams were doing, because you know, with the exception of Rebels, which I don't read, and All-Stars, which kind of turned me early, all of these books were doing things that were interesting. And they were doing things with characters that you know are going to be around the DC Universe. Uncle Sam will not go away. The Outsiders will not go away. You know, The Freedom Fighters, these are not going away. There will be a new Doom Patrol. The question is just, what are they going to do when they revamp it the next time? For all the people that are sad over these five titles or, yeah, getting the axe, uh, maybe we should rejoice a little bit because DC finally came to their senses and I guess two months ago announced that they canceled Batman Confidential and that really crappy Asriel series. So, um, you know, (laughs) we got that going for us. Although I was going back looking through the... uh, through the solicitations, it was two months ago that they canceled and said that Batman Confidential was no more and that Asriel was no more. And I don't remember anyone making a peep about that on the Internet anywhere, meaning that nobody cares about Batman Confidential, which proves my point. They should have never canceled Legends of the Dark Knight. There were 57 Bat titles that much. There's chances there are that yeah, yeah, nobody yeah. Nobody noticed. even noticed it. Yeah, I, I, I have a feeling that's probably what it was, too. The other thing that's uh, kind of interesting in... Um, in all of this is that um, I think once again, and Rodrigo way in in on this, do we need ongoing series? What if we just had a six issue mini series of the doom patrol? You can tell that trade and then you can go away and six months later or eight months later, if there appears to be enough interest, you come back with another limited series. Yeah, I think that's that's something that I've been I've been saying for a while is, you know, you look at something like Umbrella Academy, where it's just a cohesive one time shot thing and then it's successful. So they go and do another cohesive one shot, basically. Right. Um, Especially with titles like Doom Patrol, like Rebels, like The Outsiders, you know. Sorry, but for that matter, like the Legion of Superheroes, where it can be when you have an enormous cast and people are like, oh, well, this is not my Legion. So even though I'm a huge Legion fan, I'm going to pass on it. You know, that sort of thing that could really help books like that. You could end up with something. I mean, if you look at Atomic Robo, for example, Mm -hmm. which is now in its what fifth volume, volume, that's what they're doing. They're they're, you know. Six, ten, twelve issues, whatever cohesive storyline, and then that's it. Um, and there's no real, ne- not necessarily any real commitment to continue. It's when you are kind of supernaturally trying to extend the life of a book mm-hmm. that you start running into issues. And then the people that like the book don't get a satisfying conclusion, and the people that didn't like the book, well, still aren't reading it. Yeah. Of course, the other solution, which is one that Matthew hates, is uh, uh, anthology. See, I don't hate anthology. I just believe that anthology, and I believe that I have enough proof, you know, at least at, at, anecdotally. That's not the internet. That's me being unable to speak. <laughs> Anecdotally, anthologies don't work because yeah. you have to have an anchor. And no matter how much I want to go in and read an anthology title that has 
say the freedom fighters, the doom patrol rebels and the metal men, people are going to be like, well, it doesn't have uh, Batman and it doesn't have Superman. So I don't care that I think that anthologies have to be tied, anchored by something. Mm-hmm. Marvel comics presents was anchored by the X-Men then by ghost Rider. And at the point where they stopped having an anchor, the book went under. I don't necessarily think that a series of miniseries is, is the problem. I think part of the problem is nobody knows where to start reading these things. Yeah. You know, it, uh, we have issue one and then we have issue 50 and then we have issue 600. Then we have issue 600.2. Mm-hmm. And then we have a zero issue that does a flashback. I mean, new readers don't know how to jump into these things. And quite frankly, I don't think that a new reader on the street is going to go and watch, you know, say that Batman Brave and the Bold episode and think I'm going to go buy a comic book with Uncle Sam and the Freedom Fighters. Right. I don't think that that is a thought process. So those books are aimed at people who are already fans. And an anthology of titles that failed is going to be four shorter stories where people look at and go, well, these titles already failed. So. Mm -hmm. I would say that the series of miniseries is probably more successful. Uncle Sam and the Freedom Fighters did like four of those before this ongoing, quote unquote, nine issue limited miniseries ongoing. (laughs) Is it just me or is Batman Incorporated running late? Yes, Batman Incorporated is running late. Okay. All right. Uh, Running down this list, Gotham City Sirens, um, Batgirl, um, probably Superboy. Yeah, it's settling okay. Doc Savage and the Spirit. Um, yeah, the first wave stuff I think is going to last as long as the Doc Savage uh, yeah, contracts, first, yeah, whatever the they're wave, Yeah, the contracts, yeah. Uh, I think that's going to go away. Zatanna probably will see the axe very soon. Uh, I hope is, not. And, you know, some people are worried that uh, Birds of Prey, or not Birds of Prey, uh, Secret Six might also see a little bit of a... Actually, when you said Birds of Prey, I was not surprised, quite frankly. This new Birds of Prey has been... No, I think it's Frank Whiteley. I don't know. But in any case, if Secrets... Go ahead. If Secret Six goes down, I'm going to go to DC's uh, headquarters, and I'm going to pee on a desk. (laughs) I think what we're seeing now is more of the downsizing that started with the removal of, um, what is it, all the Wildstorm titles. Yep. You know, they're... They're in a transition period, and transition periods tend to bring with it, you know, a a smaller publishing list. Look at 78. Mm -hmm. Look at 93. You know, Mm -hmm. these things happen in cycles. 78 was a pretty damn huge example, but in 78, I think 60 titles were canned or something like that. So, Well, you know what Marvel's doing? Explosion for a reason. Marvel says that they're going to kill off one character per quarter. No joke. Bam! What do you think of yeah, that? Okay. I think it's per quarter. I don't think it's every month. Yeah, but, you know, they last said per month, quarter. Last month, they killed off like three characters that uh, went unnoticed. And then, of course, they killed off Johnny Storm. I think they mean a high-profile character. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think that, that killing a character every quarter is quickly going to lose its luster. Oh, yeah, it is. As soon as you announce it, that hey, every quarter we're going to kill somebody off. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's going to be really old really quick because two quarters because later. Because you can just... You can't just keep bringing back Black Goliath just to kill him again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. They need a Kenny. Maybe that's what. Uh, maybe that's what Marvel should do. Get their own Kenny and well, kill it, a the, character. The problem off is, again is that it's not. It, the, 
here's what's what appears to me to be ridiculous about this announcement is that from the beginning, killing a character is completely 100% a shameless stunt to get right. more people interested, right? Right. That and put no. So Obama now they're the saying, cover. now they're saying, now we're going to have a ridiculous, shameless stunt every quarter. They are basically yeah. coming out and saying, we have guys, we have run out of ideas. So we will just kill a character every quarter because that's what we that's know sort of works. Yeah, but it, they're not is, just they're not just killing characters. They're creating all new titles like the Future Foundation, also known as the FF, that will but, have Spider-Man and a bunch of other people joining the cast. Do you remember Fantastic Force in 1994? I don't read Marvel, so yeah, that went three years. <laughs> Here's the thing about announcing this and announcing this with the pride that they announced. This is something that came from the money people, right? Look how well this sold. Captain America sold a ton of issues. That Human Torch thing sold a ton of issues. It got us a ton of press. But you can't keep going back to that well. I mean, Frank, uh, Hank Pym punched his wife once, and he's never done it again, and he will always be remembered as the wife beater, right? Mm -hmm. But if they did a series where Hank Pym punched his wife every quarter, Hank Pym's going to punch his wife every quarter, and we're going we're gonna to drop Spider-Man's significant other off a bridge. Every three months, whoever it is, whatever the bridge is, eventually we're going to get to the Golden Gate Bridge and we're going to dump Aunt May. You know, it, here's my problem with a death every quarter. A, it is shameless, shameless and, 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 and morally, creatively bankrupt. It's, hey, you guys like dead people? Let's take a pool, you know, and killing a character every quarter. Okay. Let's look at Marvel's list. Next quarter, we're going to take out the Texas Twister. And the quarter after that, we're going to take out the Living Lightning. And the quarter after that, we're going to bring, bring back Dr. Druid long enough to kill him. Did they bring him back? I, I know there was a Dead Avengers limited series. Marvel has a, enough of a character base that they can honestly do this. And they can kill characters, even characters that people recognize. You know, Ms. Marvel, killer. I don't know. I don't care. Blow away Thor, but bring him back in three months. You know that these characters aren't going to remain gone. And you know that this is not something that somebody went and said, here's a great story that I want to tell where we're going to kill Ms. Marvel. It's uh, that Human Torch issue sold really well. Let's kill Ms. Marvel and see if we can get some of that action in New Avengers. Yeah, I guess. And, I, and again, a lot can be inferred in how you read something on the web. But it almost seemed like when you read that quote, and I think that quote was from Tom Brevoort, right? Um, um, I think Brevoort was from, was it Brevoort? I think that was who it was from. Um, but it's almost like you can tell that there's a big smile on, on whoever said mm -hmm. that's face oh, yeah. when yeah, they're saying that gleeful. Yeah. And that's just, I don't know. I, I, it uh, it's, it's a little weird. What do you think? Uh, I mentioned the future foundation. Future. No, no sense mourning uh, Johnny storm's loss. Let's get Spider-Man and a bunch future. of other people on board. What do you think of Spider-Man's new costume? One of them. Yes, Spider-Man now has what? Six active costumes? I, I call this one stealth mode. I call this one the Arctic Blast. Uh, Arctic Blast Spider-Man. Yes. A new costume is... With uh, Polar Bear sidekick. <laughs> no, Diego, no. Um, oh, I'm sorry. I, I, I want to give the correct quote here. It's uh, David Gabriel, Senior Vice President of Sales at Marvel, announced sales. that... 
Yeah, announced that they're going to kill the main main character every quarter. This yep. is not a joke. Well, considering that they have two Captain Americas and uh, five of everybody else right now, there's seven Captain Marvels running around. One of them says, split! You know, <laughs> they can afford to do this, but yeah. what's major? I think the Future Foundation, I want to give it a chance because I like what the creators have been doing in Fantastic Four. I think that the relaunch, the number one, I think the murder issue is all a ploy to get people's attention in Fantastic Four. Yeah. The last time I was interested in Fantastic Four, though, I got burned by the Mark Miller hype machine. But Spider-Man's new costume. Don't care. You don't like And by the way, it's not a new costume. He wrapped himself in hex mats from the old (laughs) D&D game that were left over. You can figure out exactly how many turns it takes Spider-Man to get anywhere by the map on his chest. Rodrigo, what do you think of this uh, Arctic Blast Spider-Man? I do like the new Spider-Man costume, or the the white one, but it really is just kind of a white version of the Spider-Man costume. It's like, I mean, I really liked it in Watchmen towards the end where, uh, what's his face, Night Owl breaks out his his Arctic um, owl suit. And I was like, oh, awesome. You know, this makes total sense. Right. Um, for Spider-Man, I was like, oh, yeah, okay, no, it looks good. There's a reason why Anti-Venom had basically the same costume, mm-hmm. because it looks cool. It's black and white, and it's just straight up, and there's a big spider on your chest. Everybody likes it. Um, what, what annoys me about it, though, is that the Human Torch died, and they changed up the Fantastic Four, and I like the Fantastic Four's new costumes. I really like them. I think they're really cool. The Fantastic Four have basically had primarily just different shades of blue as their costumes forever. And now they mm-hmm. have different black and white costumes. But they're not a I Fantastic feel that, Four. I feel that Spider-Man is just kind of in the way. Like, why Why is Spider-Man even there? Make this about where are the Fantastic Four going to pick up from the death of Johnny Storm. But Spider-Man is one of Johnny Storm's best friends. I suppose that's true. And Spider-Man has years of, you know, backstory with the FF. And in one of his, I think in issue one, he went to the Fantastic Four and tried to join. So, I mean, this could at least be explained with an in-character, in-story explanation. Whereas, you know, Wolverine becoming an Avenger because they need a guy who'll chop people's heads off. Not really quite so, you know, simple. That's kind of a reversal on the part of both Captain America and Iron Man. So at the very least, there is precedent for Spider-Man and the Fantastic Four to interact and to interact to where, you know, Peter Parker is close to them. When Wade was writing that uh, Spider-Man series couple, I don't know if it was years, months ago. It's a weekly series, so right. it was like 150 issues ago. ago, So I think it was six months ago, six months ago for sure. So 175 issues. But it's a good story, and it brought Spider-Man and the Fantastic Four closer together, and they had a you know a little bit of family bondy time. So it's not like it's not as far out of left field as it could have been. Yeah, uh, I don't know. My son liked it, and I wish I would have had a recorder because he had some some very interesting things to say about Spider-Man's white costume. There is a brand new look at the amazing Spider-Man costume that we're going to see in the upcoming movie over at the Majorspoilers.com website and a whole bunch of other things that people are just uh, talking about left and right, including uh, the cancellation that we talked about. There are a lot of new reviews over there. We had 
one of our writers went over to Toy Fair. Jason went over to Toy Fair 2011 in New York and went and visited Hasbro. And he's got a whole slew of images and information about new toy lines that are coming up, including the new Lego Transformer line, which is kind of like awesome on top of awesome, I think. Um, you can find Literally. major spoilers. Uh, Gamers Corner, Rodrigo's got a, a thing on player flexibility. Uh, mm-hmm. I suppose if you want to multi-class into a yoga uh, trainer. Uh, yep. that's what, or a uh, yoga I mat. Be, I there would be go. an elongated man slash cleric. You yes. know, uh, we had mentioned a couple of weeks ago about the uh, back on Major Spoilers episode 272, which really was only about three weeks ago, talking about numbering. Uh, the children of superheroes. Uh, we said we were going to run a contest over at the forums. We picked a winner, and that person's been notified. And I actually need to get their prize in the mail this week, so that's coming. <laughs> that means it's time for another contest just around the corner. Uh, it has to do with Archie and Archie comics. So be thinking about your favorite Archie stuff, and you might win something very, very cool. Uh, from, be ready to uh, guess the number of molecules in Reggie Mantle's butt. <laughs> Also be on the lookout for some game reviews, including some of the best games of the 2000s. All of that and more over at Majorspoilers.com. And stick around when we come back. We've got listener mail plus our very own reviews. How to get a Major Spoilers shout out. If you want to get a personalized shout out at the top of the show, all you have to do is the following steps. Number one, visit Majorspoilers.com. Two, click on the Make a Donation button. Three, donate $10 or more to the cause. Four, sit back and relax and hear Matthew butcher your name and say something cute about you. Major spoilers, bringing the good stuff since 2006. Thank you, Matt, for contributing this week, and thank you, everybody, who's contributed over the uh, last couple of years. Your uh, your donations have kept us afloat and kept things going. Uh, we would like to get more, and so if you'd like to donate, all you need to do is click that Donate button. With more money, we can do more things. A lot of people says, hey, I, I would sure be great to donate to Critical Hit. When you donate to Critical Hit or when you donate to the Major Spoilers website or the Major Spoilers podcast, it all goes into the same pot and allows us to do all new cool super things. So there you go. Listener email. I'm going to dive into that email bag, Matthew's favorite part of the show, where I pull out our email and read oh, this oh, one from The Vincent. email bag is particularly crunchy today. <laughs> I know. I noticed. I think it's frozen. This one's from Vincent. Guys, I was wondering if you could direct me to some comics that came out in the 80s that were fantasy-based sword and sorcery type. I know D&D had its share of comics, but I was looking for others. Can you help me? That's from Vincent. And the thing I would uh, point Vincent to, even though it started in 1978, technically not the 80s, but it went from 78 all the way to 2003 when they sold off to uh, DC Comics. And that's Elf Quest from Wendy and Richard Peeney. Um, (laughs) It is a fantasy story about elves and wolves and their struggle to survive in a primitive Earth-like planet with two moons. Um, Matthew, I know you've read some Elf Quest, right? Read a little bit here and there, yeah. What do you think? Is that something that he would want to check out from the 80s? I would say it's certainly a place to start. I think it's going to be one of the easier books to find. Yeah. In terms of 80s reprints. Oh, um, eight, you know, all the, everything is available online, too. You can go to the ElfQuest website. You can read all that stuff online, too. I know when I was a kid, uh, I used to read uh, Orion, Lord of Atlantis, mm-hmm. Amethyst, Princess of the Gem World. Oh, I hear she's one. coming back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I actually got an Amethyst Retro review somewhere in my uh, to-do list. But, um, God, what was that other book with the thing in the face and the foing Leuven? Conan? The guy with the No. Conan the Barbarian? It had a guy with a, It was a Marvel book. It was a guy with a sword. Kill Raven. Thank you. Yes, with the big boots. Kill Raven uh, is awesome. I'm sorry. I woke up as soon as you said Marvel. <laughs> Just as long as you guys realize that you have your biases, we're fine. <laughs> Rodrigo, I got you know? I got one. Yeah, it didn't that? it didn't come out in the eighties. I think it actually well, uh, or it, it it didn't get any distribution in the eighties, and I think finally in the nineties it caught on. Um, Poison Elves. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, which is just kind of floating around. I never got a chance really to to read it, other than flipping through random issues that I saw at the comic store. But it is that. It is kind of like this 80s, 80s fantasy-inspired book. Um, the other one is, you know, we've talked about Cerebus, and before it gets too crazy, it right. is basically sword and sorcery stuff. Well, wasn't there a lot of Conan stuff coming out from Marvel in the uh, late 70s, early 80s? Oh, sure. They had uh, Conan the Barbarian, King Conan, Savage Sword of Conan. Um, Red Song I believe stuff they was had out there. Tales of Conan. Son of Conan. Weren't the uh, now? Which were the Conan books? Uh, I'm I'm trying to think. Um, what was the company producing the Conan stuff that was not was magazine size, the black and white magazine st- stuff? That was Marvel. Was that Marvel? That doing was that? okay. Savage Sword. Well, they did it through their Curtis uh, Curtis uh, Publications, their black and white line. Yeah, yeah. That book actually went under in the 80s, probably the early to mid 80s. Actually, I want to say. Uh, Regular Conan the Barbarian ended around 86 or 87 at Marvel. Mm. But I would say Conan is less of a fantasy book than it is uh, kind of a just a barbarian book. There's swords, but there isn't quite so much of the sorcery for my Right, It's definitely a low, low magic setting. Yeah. And there's boobies. But and he chopped he chop people's head off and there's boobies. <laughs> um, Marvel and DC had a lot of fringy type stuff that was kind of, you know, fantasy. There were a couple of space science fantasy books. Sp- Spanner's Galaxy was basically a D&D campaign set in outer space. That's a good one. Hmm. Uh, I believe Archie Comics put out Centurions. There was the Power Extreme, see, and there was an Earth guy and an Air guy and a Water guy, but no Fire guy. Hmm. Didn't make any sense. <laughs> Richie Rich was a fantasy. Um, ain't no way... <laughs> Well, hey, don't, forget, uh, year old don't, don't forget Wendy, the little teenage Wendy? witch, or the, the little witch. What was her name? Isn't Wendy? she in Xenoscope comics now? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. She's I keep seeing this girl in red panties, and I'm like, why is this a grown-up Wendy? And then I look, and then there's a grown-up little Lotta and a grown-up, <laughs> hey, <laughs> I just decoded Xenoscope comics. <laughs> yep. Whoa. Yeah, there's a there's a Xenoscope Little version. Lulu. There's a Xenoscope oh, version of uh Baby Huey too, if you look close enough, so there you go. Gross. <laughs> <laughs> there's no way that it's gross. <laughs> All right, Vincent, hopefully that'll give you that a that'll give you slash a... isn't about Richie and Cadbury after never. <laughs> well that's actually image comics, not Xenoscope, but I uh, know. Yes. I know. Uh, Vincent, hopefully that answers your question. And listeners, if you have any questions, all you need to do is send us an email to podcast at Majorspoilers.com. All right, let's get to some reviews this week. Yeah, you just 
just uh, hit in with that vibration from your fan at the same, and we're harmonizing with that excellence. Our listeners, Pretty are, awesome. going, our listeners are going crazy. Why don't you uh, regale us with Tales sort of, of Flash? Flash number Barry nine. Barry Allen, a man barely alive. Gentlemen, we can rebuild him. We can make him better than he was before. Relevant to the continuity, but not much faster, because really, what's the point? We have the ability to make the world's first superhero who only exists for monetary greed purposes. Da-da-da-da! Issue 9 of The Flash was this week! And it is, I believe, the first official tie-in to the coming Flash Point! Giant, giant crossover. Introducing the character Hot Pursuit! We're going to get them Nukes Flash. Come on, Belvedere's. Boss, boss, Nuke Boy's got out again. What was that dog's name? Flash. Oh, is that what it was? Yes, that's what makes it funny. And Cletus? Yes, and Enos, too. Enos, yeah, Enos. Enos, not Anus, it's an intense story. Hot Pursuit (laughs) shows up in Central City at the beginning of this issue. And about three pages of Hot Pursuit... I need to find Barry Allen. So then we cut to Barry Allen. Now, I will say this. I enjoy the art on Flash. Really? Um, yeah, Francis Manipool is kind of hit and miss, but in this issue, it's not bad, with one exception. The first appearance of Hot Pursuit has him on a motorcycle running on his front wheel with his rear end sliding around behind him. And I'm going to tell you right now, superpowers or not, if you do that on a motorcycle, you're going to die. But uh, Manipool does some interesting stuff where the superhero bits are hyper-colored, and then we cut to Barry Allen's life, and everything is kind of grays and browns and almost dreary, which is interesting. And Barry has to figure out a crime scene, and he does his little CSI thing. And it turns out that the crime scene is a superhero. Didn't and we I do this in, like, super- issue number four or something? Where Captain Cold is dead, and then he has to figure out who killed Captain well, Cold. Well, I immediately look at this, and this is a superhero, and I say to myself, why is he wearing the costume of the elongated man? Yeah, and then I remember that? that Ralph Gibney is already dead. Exactly. And there's actually a bit in the middle of the book that's interesting, because it's the full-color superhero-y stuff. It's not the dreary police crime scene crap. Right. But it's actually a family reunion where Iris and Max Mercury and Wally and the kids are having a, you know, having a picnic waiting for Barry to show up and Barry doesn't show up. And Barry basically, you know, is blowing the whole thing off. And Iris is like, this is your family. These are your people. He's like, I don't care. She's like, what happened to your mom? Isn't your fault. So mommy issues. I got that going for me, which is nice. That was a an actually a really well done sequence, very well characterized, very nice, and it's probably the first real the real look into Barry's mind that we've had. And had it happened somewhere before three quarters of a year had gone by, I might be really happy with that bit. But again, that's just me being you know snotty. Turns out that the dead person is in fact the elongated kid. A kid who stole a case of Gingold from the Flash Museum. Oh, cool. Now, why why would there be a case of Gingold at the Flash Museum? I don't know. Let's move on. The elongated uh, kid is dead. Something is wrong. He's dead. 
He's busy being dead. And he stole soda pop that allows you stretch. And just as Barry is trying to figure out this thing, the power blows out and Hot Pursuit shows up to find them dang dukes. <laughs> now, here's the worst part. This is the part that really made me angry. Well, this is the first part that made me angry. The final page. Barry right Allen pushes. No, that made me really, really, really just kind of stupid. He pushes his ring. And what is the sound effect that the Flash's ring makes? Okay. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. well, just <laughs> no, 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 Jeff Johns. Be, no. Is it supposed to be flash that's, or flush? It's, I, it's flush. It's exactly <laughs> what it is because that's the point where I just went, okay, I'm done. Uh, hot pursuit comes up and then flash runs up. I'm going to make you stop. So hot pursuit stops. And he says, uh, flash, I am here to help you. We are on the same page. You can trust me. And Flash says, why would I trust you about anything? And by the way, they're not talking like Torque because I think they're stupid. It's just that this is actually Torque quality dialogue. So uh, Hot Pursuit <laughs> takes off his helmet <laughs> and he says, my name is Slagathor. <laughs> Wait, can I spoiler it? Yes, go ahead. I mean, this is a show. Right. I mean, this has been out a week. If you don't know who's under that helmet, yep. by now, he's wearing uh, these uh, flashy things across his chest. Uh, he's Here's chasing the down the, the all Flash. Of the hope, all of the hope that I had for Hot Pursuit and Flashpoint. Because he kind of looks like one of the cops. Dun, 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 dun. He's got sirens on his shoulders and, and rings on his fingers and bells on his toes and dingy, dingy, dangy and clang, clang, clang with the trolley. It's a cool looking character. It's a cool looking outfit. It's, you know, it's got potential. And I'm thinking, okay, maybe Hot Pursuit is the key that will make me like Flashpoint. And on the last page of this issue, he says, uh, you can trust me, Flash, because my name is Barry Allen. Yay! And I'm here I'm It's here the to future Barry his... Allen meets the future Barry Allen in the past. In the, <sighs> uh, wait, how many Barry Allens are there in a timeline? You know, the thing about Barry Allen dying was there you didn't have to bring him back to life because he was always living in the future. So you could do what Mark Wade did and have him come back in time to certain points and have adventures, so you don't have to screw up timelines and everything. But this just seems wacky. Well, I am a, a devotee of a little website called, well, I can't tell you what it's called, but it's about tropes that you see on television. Oh, really? Dot org. Oh. Yeah. And there is a Now, would particular that be television trope. or would that be TV? No. Well, yeah, <laughs> TV is kind of like television. Yes. Tropes of TV, let's put it that way. Okay. There is something that they call... A wall banger. That's the point where you go past head scratching and literally smash your head against the wall. This reveal is a huge wall banger because, A, if it's meant to be a super dramatic reveal, why are we doing it in the prologue? B, Hot Pursuit has actually been set up and, you know, pushed and sold as something interesting, something new, something that's going to be the key to this new thing, and it's just he's an alternate reality or a time tossed or God only knows what he is version of the flash right on a motorcycle, which makes him super duper awesome. But it does answer the question from the JLU toy line a few years ago is what does the flash need for the motorcycle? It's the same thing God needs with a starship. It just makes for good dialogue. This is an awful issue. I'm sorry. And here I, mean, I, was, the, I had the, hopes, Matthew, I had hopes. 
So did I, because that Mirror Master issue, not Mirror Master, the Captain Boomerang issue was good. The Reverse Flash issue was amazing. That was a really, really great piece of comic storytelling, especially so far in 2011. We haven't seen anything like that. This issue is just, it's disjointed. It's, there's a murder mystery at the center of it that I don't understand. There's a character whose very existence just makes my head hurt. And I'm a Legion fan. You're not going to throw me with time travel, stupid bull crap, but this is, uh, it's not enjoyable for me. And I'm, I'm actually considering since I don't necessarily know if I want to read flashpoint, I'm considering whether I need to just leave flash now and be done with it and have a good jumping off point, if you will. <laughs> and off, off that, uh, off that stool that's uh, supporting stool you hell. as you dangle it's, from the... It's the treadmill outside of George Jetson's house, and <laughs> Jane will not come out and get me off this crazy thing. I mean, ugh, I want to love Flash. I do. I'm a Flash fan, and I I have bought in. I, I am willing to a, a admit the possibility that Barry Allen could do something interesting. And I, nine issues in, have yet to see that. And they're not showing it to me. And they're telling me how awesome Barry Allen is, but I'm not seeing anything. And they're not doing anything. And he's not doing anything. Well, and now we're yeah. going into a big, huge crossover with uh, Roscoe P. Coltrane from the future. <laughs> <laughs> the Dukes! The Dukes! The Dukes! <laughs> and there, um, there isn't even an, an Enos here to, to offset my rage. It's, I, I've got a question. When did Max Mercury return? Uh, in uh, Flash Rebirth. Really? Ma yeah, Max came back from the dead in Flash Rebirth. I oh, believe. okay. Tells you how long uh, I haven't been reading. Yeah, Tells okay, when it the says right there, Flash Rebirth number four. Yeah. He came back from the other side with Bart, I think. No, well, Bart came back in uh, Legion of Three Worlds. Nobody dies anymore, dude. <sighs> they kill yeah, one every but anyway, I will say give this. Me a, give, me a, it's, give me a meatloaf rating on this. This is better Francis Manipool art than I've seen in a long time. Okay. One and a half slices of meatloaf oh, uh, just on my on account of my rage. Jones! <laughs> <laughs> I haven't right, been this you, mad since they stole my turkey sandwich with the moist maker in the middle. <laughs> Rodrigo, you have been very quiet this, sh this show. Uh, why don't you... Why have don't you, I? Uh, Yes, yes, you have. Why don't you review us okay, some Darkwing sorry. Duck, please? Okay. Well, it's because we've been talking about DC, and you know, people always. Are I am the about terror us. that flaps in the night. I am the sheriff that comes back from the future on a magical motorcycle and says, "Get a flash!" Come on, Belvedere! I got you, Flash. Darn new boys. <laughs> yeah, that's that's why he went after the Flash because he can't catch the Duke boys. Right. No, so Dante, he went after an easier target. If Dante weren't so busy studying and was here tonight, he could draw up Flash as <laughs> Sheriff. Yeah, but Dante has like a poli sci. He said he had like a poli sci final or something. I don't, I don't know what it is, it. but I I just like to he was see quoting Fiorello LaGuardia. The, the I'm not Flash even sure what that's wearing about. a wearing a actually, North Georgia he has a, he has sheriff's a, hat. He has a poli sci-fi final. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
polymorph sci-fi. That's what it is. Yeah, he needs he needs to he needs to study up on the Federation and the impact that the Romulans made on it. <laughs> anyway, Darkwing Duck. Darkwing Duck number nine. This is the first issue of a new arc. Great jumping on um, point, kids. It's a second jumping on point number nine, folks. Will it be better than the last one? Um, it's really shaping up to be pretty good. Um, so Darkwing Duck is trying to fix up his image, uh, because as of the last, uh, arc, a bunch of Darkwing Ducks from other dimensions basically trashed the whole city and everybody hates Darkwing Duck because they think it's his fault. Um, so he's out there, he's trying to revamp his image and in the process of doing that and fighting crime, he runs into Steelbeak. Steelbeak being uh, basically a, a, a joke on um, Jaws from James Bond. Um, and a, a member, a high-ranking member of the, of the spy organization, Fowl, F-O-W-L. Um, but as it turns out, after um, Duckworks took over St. Canard, Fowl didn't have anything to do. So, in order to regain power and take it away from, oh, sorry, Quackworks is what is what the what the um what the company was called. Um, in order to reclaim their power, they have uh, fallen in to magic, and now they want to bring about and and bring this dark messenger of the ancient gods to uh, to take control over Saint Canard and his name. Is Duck Thulu? <laughs> really? <laughs> yes, really. Are you sure it's not Duck Thulu? Duck Thulu. <laughs> I love it. Um. So this issue has the has Steelbeak and Darkwing team up to uh, infiltrate a um, a foul layer but of course they get run out and the issue ends as they're in in hot pursuit if you will um as a bunch of foul as a bunch no as a bunch of uh, foul agents and the foul agents are those egghead guys i don't know if you remember the the cartoon their uh their helmets look like eggs oh yeah yeah um and they have like big goggles. So they're chasing them. They're in Steelbeak's flying car. He gets conked out and Darkwing Duck has to take the wheel and that's that's where we leave it off. It's it's pretty cool. It's it's interesting. Um I like Duck Thulu, you know, in a in a sense, I'm starting to get tired of the whole like historical fiction with eldritch abominations thrown in subgenre that we've been seeing a lot of. Yeah. Um, but this as a parody of it, I think really works. So I'm, I'm curious to see where they take it. Um, I'm, I'm very interested in what's happening and it's nice to see Steelbeak. Um, he, he was always a character that I always really liked the way that he looked, even if I didn't terribly like the, his characterization. Right. Um, but here I don't have to hear him because it's a comic. There you go. Give us a give us a rating there, Rodrigo. I will give this 
four slices of meatloaf. Ooh, four slices of meatloaf from Rodrigo. It says a lot. The art is good. The Cold art is, is the art continues to be as as though you were watching the cartoon. It is you know there are never any problems. The characters are always the right size. Their beaks are always the right size. You know it it is just never like you almost. Uh, by this point, I have almost stopped thinking about the art because it is so consistently good, which is kind of a disservice to it. Um, as usual, there are visual gags around. For example, um, you at very early on see the albatross from the rescue rangers flying across the city. Right. And, you know, just random things like that. Just a lot of references to other Disney stuff. Oh, in a Gosselin's room, you see that furry thing. She has all these posters. One of them is that furry thing from the Black Cauldron. Oh, yeah. King yeah. Louis. Mm-hmm. That kid that Pinocchio hangs out with that turns into a donkey. Right. A bee elephant from Dumbo. Iago is just like, there's just all this stuff. No, that's pretty cool. All over the place. Mr. Smee. From Peter Pan. Yep. That's pretty cool. Neat. I, I need to read these stuff. I just don't have time to read stuff anymore, it seems like. Yes. Uh, but I do need to get onto that Darkwing Duck. I know my son would probably well, get a kick out of it. Honestly, if you if you specifically, Stephen, haven't gotten a chance to read it, that's fine. Because the last thing I want is for you to start reviewing it for the site and eh, then telling me no. that I can review it for the podcast. I, I would rather review other things. I mean, Matthew has been reviewing and going on uh, about DC Comics. I need to balance this podcast out so people aren't getting all upset. I need to review something from Marvel. Wow. Yeah, I know. Go figure. And, of course, the only books that I'm reading from Marvel have to do with a certain web slinger. Uh, Amazing Spider-Man, number 654. I Actually, people are saying, you didn't review Ultimate Spider-Man? No, I haven't had a chance to read Ultimate Spider-Man yet, the death of Peter Parker. Um, Amazing Spider-Man 654 picks up immediately after the last issue. It comes out weekly. I kind of like that that feeling, uh, where Peter Parker goes back to Horizon Labs to whip up something to combat, um, uh, what's his name, the the Spider-Slayer. Um, all his swarm to kind of combat them. And Max Modell, the owner, the brilliant scientist who, for some reason, uh, has Max Modell ever been around? Well, I was wondering, did he, has he been around in, in Marvel before, or is this some new character that's was whipped up by Dan Slott? The name sounds familiar. I'm just surprised as smart as this man's supposed to be in his boy crushes or man love that uh, that Peter Parker feels for this guy. Oh, he's the most brilliant mind in the world. How come we've never heard of him before? Why he's never been consulted by, you know, Hank Pym or Reed Richards or anything like that. Um, he just is here, and he figures, uh, he figures out Peter Parker's secret pretty darn quick. He says, oh, uh, Spider-Man is hiring you to whip up all of this oh, technology the, for him. The lab guy? He's the owner and founder of Horizon Labs. Yeah, he's entire. He's a new character as of the big time the, series, like, three, two three weeks ago. Yeah, okay, he's a new fella. All right, I, I just I wish he would have been around more. He's a very interesting, but also also dumb because he can't put together that Peter Parker is Spider Man. But he warns. Mark Peter, my words, he's a Mysterio front. Mark my words, Peter. You should not be subcontracting. Your contract says you can't subcontract and do other jobs, but because it's Spider Man, I think we'll give it a pass this time. There's a lot of action in this issue, really, because um, 
the Slayer Swarm is still trying to kill all of J. Jonah Jameson's loved ones. That includes um, the Daily Bugle uh, people. That includes uh, Aunt May and uh, and and um, JJ's wife. Uh, what's her name? Marla, I think is her name. Um, and so it's just a big, big battle that at the end has some very drastic moments in the history of Spider-Man. Uh, in order to combat the swarm, Peter Parker sets off an uh, what is it, an EMP that scrambles his spider senses, so we may not see Spider-Man with spider senses. And J. Jonah Jameson's wife is killed. And instead of blaming Spider-Man... He killed Marla? He, yep. And he says, I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to say this is all your fault, Spider-Man, because I know this is my fault. All my fault. Which is kind of interesting, and it's kind of a sad moment. Um, but it's a really, it's a good issue. Now, the problem is, I was about halfway through this issue, and I was like, you know what? It's been a week since I read this, and everything just seems to be really slow. This is really an issue that's packed with a lot of action, but I can't help but feel like... You know, we were right in the middle of a huge battle and chase scene last issue, and then we had to wait a week, or, you know, many other books, you wait a month, and you come back into this, and that adrenaline has to kick back in uh, to move you forward into the into the fray, and I just, it, it's real difficult. I could see this playing out as a really cool episode on television, this whole arc. Uh, I could see this playing out as a movie in, in itself. Um but in serialized form, in, in a comic book, it just it, it has its stumbling moments as far as pacing goes. I still love everything Dan Slott is doing. The art um, by, uh, what is it, Stefano Caselli is wonderful. Um, this is, oh, yeah. Uh, also, Fred Van Linty also helped with the, I'm sorry, Fred Van Linty wrote the script. Dan Slott plotted the issue. Um, the art is good. Um, I like it. It's really, really good. And then there's also a little Venom backup tale where we find out that uh, Flash Thompson is the new Venom, in case you didn't already see that somewhere. Spoiler. Um, overall, a good book. Overall, a good I've book. been rustled. <laughs> we haven't heard that name in a long time. Uh, overall, I like this book. I think He's because been busy of... busy killing people in survival. <laughs> because of that, even, if, even though it's a weak gap, that little break between last issue's action and this issue's action... Really had, gave me time to catch my breath, and so it wasn't as exciting uh, going into it. So I'm giving this one three and a half slices of meatloaf out of five. Still worth uh, picking up and still worth reading. It's really my first ongoing Marvel uh, main universe that I'm reading. So yay me. Yeah, you. Yay, me. All right. Yes, you know what? You know what? I need to know. And Peter! Who here is a team player? Are you a team player, Rodrigo? I'd like to think so, yes. Matthew, are you a team player? I'm a team leader, actually. Oh, okay. Well, then that's perfect for this week's installment of Pol- It's oh. time! For the thousands in attendance and the 3,600 sectors of the universe, it's time. For the major spoilers, interactive two universes that probably never should, but will eventually cross over. Poll of the week, 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 And because of the way you're, uh, because of the way you're having some bad internet issues, underlying Arf. your poll of the week is this low yeah. bass reverb going along with your high pitched week, week, week. It sounded pretty cool. It sounded like. <laughs> Oh, is the Ventrigan back? 
<laughs> yeah, it triggers back. <laughs> this week's poll of the week is asking the all-important question, are you a team player? And more importantly, if you could pick which team you'd like to play on, would you rather be a Jedi or would you rather be a member of the Green Lantern Corps? Both have limited membership, but both have privileges of being a member. So we want to know. <laughs> membership has its privileges. Which one would you rather be a member of, Rodrigo? The Jedi or the Green Lantern Corps? Go. Uh, this was this one was a really hard one, both because, you know, it would be awesome to be a Green Lantern and it would be awesome to be a Jedi, but also because both of these um, groups are, are uh, pretty systematically wiped out every uh, couple story arcs completely. So true. they have an incredibly high, high mortality rate. Uh, which I think is what a couple of people were pointing out in the in the comments as well. So I guess with that out of the way, since you're just as likely to die being a Jedi as being a Green Lantern, um, and they're both kind of intergalactic peacekeeping organizations, I would probably go with being a Green Lantern. Um, primarily because... Jedi have very, tend to have very specific powers. And sometimes those powers are, are taken way too far. And then, you know, as, as you're reading or experiencing that, that fiction, you know, I, I feel that a lot of people go like, really? You, a Jedi would be able to do that. That's a little much kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but I Green mean, Lanterns, because, because the, the actual definition of the power is anything you can imagine and, and, and put into effect through your willpower actually gives them power that is essentially unlimited. Mm -hmm. Only, you know, it's only limited by their own, uh, fallacies as, as, as organic beings. Right. Or inorganic beings for that matter. Hey, yes, you call me? Yes, he called you that. So you're picking, uh, you're picking the Green Lantern. I'm going with Green Lantern Corps. Okay, even though you're probably going to die, even yeah, though all yeah. your love. Well, because if I'm a Jedi, I'm probably going to die. You're probably here's the deal. As a as a Green Lantern, as a Green Lantern, I'm probably going to die. As a Jedi, I'm probably going to die. As a Jedi, I'm probably going to turn evil and kill all my friends. As a Green Lantern. I'm probably going to turn evil and kill all my friends. <laughs> so as far as like the, the ultimate implication of things, it doesn't right. matter. So I might as well just pick what would actually be the most fun to be. Okay. And seeing as how they let Guy Gardner do basically whatever the hell he wants, I probably want to be a Green Lantern. Good answer. All right, Matthew. See, I had a similar thought process to Rodrigo as usual, but... I went in different directions because I looked at it as there is no time constraint on this. It doesn't say when right. you can be a member. I wouldn't want to be a member of the Green Lantern Corps now during the uh, the War of the Roy G. Bibelos, where every single issue is an earth-shattering crisis and five members of each Lantern Corps have to die. Right. But then I wouldn't want to be a Jedi because, uh, you know, after that that third movie – the Jedi were left in a rebuilding period, and there were no further movies, certainly no movies that came before those three awesome Star Wars movies, the last things that George Lucas ever made before he died horribly. Um, in any case, I'm, I'm retroactive continuity by the way. I thought you'd be interested. I voted Jedi for two reasons. Um, one, Kilowog is pretty awesome, but Kit Fisto is, you know, such a great name. 
Kit if I, Fisto. Kit, what my name is, Kit Fisto. Anyway, plus, <laughs> if you recall, the moment where Yoda actually steps up to Count Dooku. Yes. And, and takes the moment and starts actually going, oh, it is time for me to do something Force-related. I no longer have to be a stooped-over uh, Muppet. I can be all Super Ninja badass. And start breakdancing. Right, but everybody thinks, you know, Yoda walks around, and he's like, mmm, syntax funny, have I? You know, it, people are like, oh, look, Yoda's nothing. And then he can just bust out those ninja badassery when he only when he wants to. He uses the Force when it's necessary. So it comes down to a question for me of, would I rather be a cop or a knigget? And while I'd rather be a cowboy than either of those... So, you know, if you could put me in command of the USS Excelsior circa 2235, I'd probably be happier than either. I went with Jedi simply because I'm more comfortable as a Knigget than I am as a cop. Okay. I went with uh, Green Lantern Corps simply because, uh, again, your imagination can wield up some very cool things. And I, I, I agree with Rodrigo. If they let Guy Garner get away with the stuff that he gets away with, that's where I'm going as well. A lot of discussion. Dude, Anakin on this killed 50 people. Yeah, but they were his friends. But they didn't. But they didn't know about it. If they did, they would have frowned at him with their beards. They would have been like, "Why you care?" We are Guy Gardner just shows up and is like, "Hey, guy, how was your patrol?" I was like, "I destroyed a city. It's it's okay. It was full of starfish aliens." I'm gonna make a green construct, a French maid serving me beer. Thank you. Bye. A uh, lot of discussion on this over at the Majorspoilers.com website. Maximus Riff says, I picked the Green Lantern Corps since the ring is more useful and the rules are less strict. One really bad decision as a Jedi can to lead to a really bad skin condition and uh, sickly yellow eyes, not to mention dementia. Also, being a Jedi forces you into celibacy, and that's a definite deal breaker for me. Uh, Toronto Frog, who's also is a brand a new... Celibacy? Yeah, that's why uh, he and uh, and Padme couldn't uh, couldn't marry because they were supposed to be celibate and not uh, have emotional or love attachments. Who's See, that's this the Padme? Thing. I don't know anything about a Padme. <laughs> that's that's the thing, though. I, I remember They're, Luke and and Leia, but this Padme. See, the Jedi are not supposed to have attachments. They are not supposed to have attachments. That has nothing to do with celibacy. That's they right. can have sex. They just can't get attached. So, in fact. Jedi are badass swinger type guys. Intergalactic Barney Stinsons with big swords. That's right. If you know what I mean. Robe up. <laughs> Toronto Frog, who's also one of the newest members of the Major Spoilers Forum, I think he just signed up today, says it's a tough choice. Members of both groups have incredible powers and some limitations, uh, either from the Guardians or having to use the light side of the Force. I voted for Jedi, Jedi mainly because lightsabers are cool, and I don't really care for rings. Um, let's see who else here has a good one here. Uh, Alicia Minx says, I, in the, uh, in the end, I cho chose Green Lantern, but only because if I were a force user, I wouldn't be a Jedi anyway. I'd move over to, uh, oh, what is this? Dothamir. And set up, set up one of the villages and have a pet Rancor named Scruffy. As a GL, well, I'd probably try to find a world like Dothamir and become a GL of that sector with a sidekick named Scruffy. Uh, lots of good answers, a lot of good feedback, uh, some discussion. 414 votes in, 65% wow. leaning towards the Green Lantern Corps. 
Here's something that you have to take into account, and I want you to know that I am not painting all of you with one brush, faithful spoilerites, just all of us. Those things are powered by willpower. Willpower is the thing that allows you to not buy Magic the Gathering cards. It allows you to not download Asian porn, and it allows you to not eat that third rack of ribs, whether you really should or not, at the High V Deli. So, the three of us would make terrible, terrible Green Lanterns. Because, I mean, you, you use that thing based on, I have the willpower. Wait, I'll have another Twinkie. Yeah, but you know what? <laughs> Green Lanterns get to fly around. Jedi actually If have they to have enough willpower. Sure. You know what Jedi have to do? Move around on their own. Walk, run, jump. How good I'm going to get myself. Those? I'm going to. Okay, that's a good point. But I'll have the force. Yoda is a three foot tall, crippled green thing from the planet Frank Oz. And he gets around. Plus, I'm going to get myself uh, like R53, D17, B54, bingo. And I'm going to have him drive me around in my intergalactic limo. I actually, um, George, who writes for the site, who is, is a hilarious guy, if you ever, if you ever get a chance to, to actually talk to him, um, had this thing where he's like, let's make up Star Wars characters. And his character was like, oh, I forget what his actual name was, was, but it was something like Shazbot the Hut. <laughs> and he was the, he was a Hut Jedi and, he convinced, like, he couldn't move around. He just had, like, his astromech droid lug him around in a cart. <laughs> and supposedly, he escaped the Jedi Purge because when uh, Darth Vader confronted him about his metachlorians, he convinced them that that was stupid and never happened. Yeah. <laughs> That's how he escaped the Purge. <laughs> Well, His that's the other thing you have to think about. Uh, yeah, if you're a Jedi, you're infected with all these uh, midichlorians. Nobody wants to be having True. having that inside of them. Bah, bah. Listeners, head over to majorspoilers.com, cast your you vote. You act like there were three uh, more movies. The poll really will be up there for a week until the next we meet and, and have a discussion over nerd stuff. Uh, we're going to take this quick break. We're going to listen to some listener feedback, and then we will come back and talk about I Kill Giants. Hey there, Major Spoilers. This is Sam from Mexico, and after hearing the last show and the lack of comments, I thought I'd just tell you what I was reading. So, I have been reading the World of Warcraft series by Wildstorm. Now, before I start talking about this, you people have to bear in mind two very important things. One, I have been playing World of Warcraft ever since it came out six years ago. Two, I'm playing World of Warcraft right now. So here we go. Basically, at first, it's the story of King Barian Worm, the King of Stormwind, the last human bastion after the Scourge had invaded Londoran. So, Barian Worm is in his way to meet Jaina Prothmore at Theramore Island, where he's going to be in a Diplomatic, I want to say, diplomatic summit with Thrall, the war chief of the Horde. Basically, quote unquote, the bad guys. Now, in his way, King Baron Worm was assaulted by the Defias and the Naga, who then kidnapped Baron Worm and held him prisoner until he broke loose, but he was. His memory was erased, I want to say. Yeah, let's just go with that. It's way less complicated to say that. 
his memory was erased, and then an orc, a traveling orc, found him wrestling some crocolisks, which is a crocodile, which is what six legs. The shaman apparently was an important businessman who then recruited Worm as part of his gladiator team and uh, decided to go around the world and, um, well, just calendar actually, and win money with this gladiator team, calling him Crockbait. Now, there's a bunch of adventures in this book. Uh, it branches off into different WoW characters, not just Baron Worm. And I have to say that it is good, but definitely knowing about the series, knowing about this story beforehand, really added to the book. So I really wouldn't know how the book would hold up for a person that has never played WoW. Um, I have to say that I liked the art, even though when they change it halfway through the book, and the characters are kind of interesting at first, still not the greatest read, so I would just say, eye it before you pick it up, if you play the WoW, then yeah, you, you'll get a kick out of it. And um, I'm going to give it three slices of meatloaf. That's about it. Good day, there, Mr. Schleicher. This is Slappy. Uh, just a question, possibly on a personal note. But in the Lost podcast, you mentioned that Rodrigo mentioned that uh, he picked your wife being pregnant twice. Now, a couple months ago, on another podcast... Uh, concerning readers' letters, someone asked, I believe if you were going to be to the at the Nerdtacular, I think it was in July, and there was a huge question as to whether you would be able to go. You said yes or maybe not. You were indefinite based upon uh, something that might happen, which you did not say. So I'm just wondering if, indeed, your wife is presently within ch- with child, and you are going to have a uh, another uh, major spoiler, right? And if so, if it's not too early, have you considered any names? Is it a boy or is it a girl? Are you going to have a uh, Kara to go with your Jor-El? Just wondering. Hello there. I'm sorry I got off the phone abruptly before. This is Slappy once again. But Johnny Law was knocking at my back door. Actually, he was almost up my ass. So I found it most prudent to uh, put the phone down as quickly and unobtrusively as possible. As I was saying, uh, I, if uh, your wife is presently expecting, as they used to say in Lucy's day, I hope that everything goes well and I wish the best for you. And I also want to mention that I do believe that for both boys and girls, I have found that Slappy is an excellent first name. I think Slappy Matthew Rodrigo um, Scroll Brian would be an excellent name for your child, whether it is a boy or a girl. Hey, I want to thank everybody for sending in their comments this week. In regards to Slappy's question about uh, are we expecting another child in the Major Spoilers household, I can neither confirm nor deny that because, quite honestly, um, there are too many effing weirdos in this world 
and it's just information that I'd rather not make public until it's until it's time. Uh, in regards to the name, if it was a girl, you can bet that the top of the list is uh, Kara Zor-El. Uh, that's on my list. My wife's list has Kara Zor-El nowhere near the top. We had this yeah. discussion. And it should be We noted. had this discussion four years ago when, when the first kid was coming out. Uh, if it was a girl, I really, really wanted Kara Zor-El because that was a cool name. And if she, didn't want, Kara, and if she didn't want Kara Zor-El, it was going to be Karen Starr. Uh, and then that got axed as well. So, um, no. Sorry. On account of sounding like a porn star. No, yeah, because uh, for Karen, it was because she's, well, I shouldn't say, she's, she knows somebody she doesn't uh, think fondly of, and she didn't want uh, that name to be associated with her kid. So, see, I've always, I've always found that strange that people are like, well, you know, I don't want to name my kid, I don't know, whatever, Michael, because I knew a Michael and I didn't like him. And I'm like, I don't like anybody. I mean, I'm not going to have, I'm going to have to name my kid a brand new name, like Tomangelo. <laughs> That's not new. One of the ones I actually now, have a Tomangelo. Uh, we had actually Damn been it. discussing this. I think in that the last time the Super Future Friends were on the show, we were discussing names. And the name that I threw out is, and I think maybe Rodrigo suggested it too, one of us uh, threw it out, is the one that we're actually going to use. Uh, but if you know my son's middle name, then the s- next child would be fairly easy to figure out. Um, uh, Uncle Ben? I, yes, it's going to be Uncle Ben. <laughs> um, Uncle Ben Schleicher. Uncle Ben Schleicher. I just like, like no, to point Uncle out ben that is after, all the first name. after the 10 pound, 7 ounce, 24 inch long child the first time, my wife has informed me that that ain't happening again unless I find a way to carry the thing myself. Yeah, yeah. So, well, that's you know, kind the, name of awesome. that I, the name that I really wanted to, just recently wanted to name, was Phineas. I think that would be a cool name for a kid. Phineas Fogg Schleicher, and you could call him Finn for short. Is it 1956 again? That name also got axed. Yeah, there's a, there's a cartoon out there, and I, I want you to know that if you name a child that now, he's going to be one of 15 <laughs> Ashleys. Uh, speaking of future for future friends, the super future friends. <laughs> future. Uh, I forgot to mention this future. earlier. They sent us, uh, if you notice one of the ads on the website, it is for... Uh, minor acts of heroism done by Adriana and Kristen, and they sent us each autographs copies of their first issue, and it looks really cool. Like I said, I'm kind of behind on my reading, so I haven't had a chance to read this yet, but uh, the pictures look cool. The uh, storyline, I know Rodrigo said you had a chance to read the first couple of pages and and, uh, thought it was fun. So uh, if you want to support the Super Future Friends, their podcast, their endeavors, and their comic books, there's a link right there on the front page of the Major Spoilers website. Go check that out. Yeah. Definitely clicking on banners on on major spoilers is a good idea in general. Yeah, I mean, if you're not going to donate, then the least you can do is click on some ads. Slacker. (laughs) So I guess I didn't realize uh, that Joe Kelly uh, is one of the creators behind the animated series Ben 10. Uh, He also uh, writes comics. I just found that fascinating uh, because another one of our uh, fans of the show... Uh, Thomas Perkins has done a lot of artwork, uh, done some work for the Ben 10 series. So um, I thought that was very cool. Uh, Joe Kelly has also written Deadpool, Uncanny X-Men, Action Comics, JLA. And then I think in 2008, I want to say, he started a series called I Killed Giants. And it's about a little girl in fifth grade, I think is what she is. She's a bit of an outcast, very smart. Uh, loves playing Dungeons and Dragons, 
doesn't have a lot of friends and truly believes that she is doing good in the world by fighting giants and trying to avoid uh, a giant that is coming while being terribly afraid that's up of something that's upstairs in her house. And I had no idea going into this story what was going on. I'd never read it before. I had heard people talk about it and they said, oh, you, you should really read this book. And so I'd gotten it in trade a couple of years ago. And it was just sitting on a shelf until I was cleaning up the Nerd Room of Doom the other day and found it and said, oh, we really should just, I need to read this. Let's just add it onto the list and make us all read it. And yeah. For the, and for the first couple, yeah. of, first couple of issues, I'm just sitting there scratching my head going, what in the heck is going on? This is a little girl that has big old spectacles. She wears rabbit ears around. Um... She really is into the fantasy life, and she truly believes that there are giants around, and there are little pixies talking to her all the time, and there's something horribly frightening in her house. This is not what I expected. It wasn't. It really all wasn't. Of, all of the solicits, all of them, I mean, looking at the Wikipedia page, it makes it sound, you know, like it's going to be a fun kind of romp with a misfit girl and bloody blue. And it is not that at all. It's it a, is really, it's painful in places. It's a raw story. It's, you know, emotional. And it reminded me of, you know, the unpleasantness that was grade school and early high school. She gets picked on. And a that lot. is I mean, not necessarily. There is a bully, a, a big giant of a girl. Uh, who uh, just picks on her nonstop. They're punching her. They're, she's getting into fights. I mean, nobody likes her. She does get a new girl moves into town, Sophia, and wants to be her friend. But as kids are that age, you know, there's certain things that occur that, that strain their friendship. Uh, but a lot of people are worried about, about this girl. And... My goodness, you are... I, I, Rodrigo, I'm, I'm curious, because this had kind of at the start and the the hint at the beginning that this was fantasy related. What were your thoughts going into this book? And as you were getting to about the midpoint of the book until we discovered what was really going on. So this girl, um, keeps talking oh, about how she kills giants. It's her job to kill giants. And everybody looks at her like she's crazy. And she interacts with all these little pixie things. And I was like, as I was reading it, I was like, you know what? I really hope that she does actually kill giants and that, you know, people don't believe her because, you know, that that would be cool. But then as I got to the middle of the book and I saw that she had, like, legitimate psychological issues that, that you know, people were trying to help her with and she kind of refused, I was like, yeah. wow, I really hope that she doesn't. I hope that this is just about the psyche of a little girl. Um, I mean, they talk. There's and, of a, course, there's at a, the end. There's a segment where the school uh, psychologist there the, and, and her older sister, we never see the parents – uh, you know, uh, the father we never see in the book. Uh, the mother is absent uh, pretty much most of the book. Um, and so it's the older sister who's taking care of, and I forget this girl's name, Matthew, what's her name? Barbara. Barbara. Barbara, uh, Barbara and her brother and herself. And um, and so they're talking about putting on her on meds and, and getting her really, you know, she may be psycho, you know, they're thinking. It's It's pretty intense. Rodrigo, go and on with, with what you were talking. Oh, go ahead, Matthew. What's really fascinating is I shared Rodrigo's, you know, halfway through point, hoping that it wasn't real. 
and then I hoped that it was, and then I hoped that it wasn't. And then it, I wasn't sure what I wanted to happen at the end. Cause yeah. there comes a point in the story where she decides to pull her magic hammer out for the first time. And what she actually pulls out is a little toy plastic hammer. Yeah. And that's, and, and I'm like, okay, we probably ought to give the readers or listeners a little bit of insight. You know, she believes that in her bag, she carries a magic hammer that she can defeat any kind of giant. A sword and magic hammer. Yeah, and she pulls it out the first time, and it's just this little hammer. This is when she's having a big confrontation with one of the bullies that with are the picking bully. on her. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the build-up, really, is actually really well done. I think in issue one... And two, there are points where people start talking about what it is that's up in the house. And the word balloons are obscured. Right. And I'm reading this as, you know, we're hearing this from from Barbara's perspective. And these are things that she doesn't want to hear. Oh, yeah. So we need to talk about, ah, wah, 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 wah. And, you know, they do. And they build that mystery. Yeah, and you don't know what's going on because at first I'm thinking, again, I know nothing about this story before going into it, and I kind of like it that way because we know that there's something upstairs that's creeping the hell out of her, and she's every time she looks upstairs, she sees like this demonic face, and she hears this kind of voice yelling down at her, and it just freaks her the hell out and so i'm thinking you know the father's name is kind of mentioned here and there and the mother's name is mentioned i'm thinking she's a victim of either sexual abuse or physical abuse and that's what she's scared of i have no idea what is really going on until we get to the moment where uh uh, the 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 social worker the psychologist the school psychiatrist um basically says hey we need to have a talk about your mother and what's going on with her and then we come to the realization that uh, the thing upstairs that she is totally scared of, that she doesn't want to bring up, that she doesn't want anybody else to speak of, that even in the early art, uh, we see this monster figure strapped to a bed, um, the, the redacted words that Barbara doesn't want to hear, is actually her mother who's dying of cancer. Uh-huh. And yeah. you hit that point and it's like, holy crap. She's not afraid of she's not afraid of uh of giants. She's afraid of her mother dying and this is how she's coping with the death of her mother or her mother, you know, soon departing. And it's really really a strong sequence because we learn this when the social worker finally just yells at her, tells her flat out, "Your mother has cancer. You cannot kill this giant." Right. And she refuses to accept it. Mhm. She you know, she shoves her and she runs away and I'm at that point in time I'm really really sure that there can't be really a giant that this is all a metaphor and something's going to happen and then <laughs> the giant shows up <laughs> break break this down for and us I, Rodrigo okay so it. Meanwhile, while all this is happening, during one altercation with the bully, Barbara accidentally hit Sophia, her new friend. Right. And Sophia got really upset. So then the bully goes in and tells her, hey, tell me where she keeps all her stupid giant killing stuff. And then we will be friends and be awesome. So the bully and her posse go down and start destroying all the, you know, giant traps. Right. 
um, that she's late and, and stuff like that. And that's when the big confrontation with the bully happens where, um, and, um, as this is happening, all of a sudden, like the sky splits apart and it just starts pouring down rain and this giant erupts out of the, out of the harbor and not, everybody can see it. Not just any yes. giant. Yeah, a Titan. A Titan. That's right. A yes. Titan. And, um, and that's and the everybody weird thing. can see it. Sophia can see it and the bully right. can see it. So, uh, so, so to jump kind of to the end to, to something that happens afterwards, because this is, so, and we'll come back to the fight and what the, what the Titan tells her. Um, mm-hmm. After everything is over, the news reports are saying that it was a tornado. We rarely get tornadoes through here. There was damage, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yep. Is the giant still a metaphor? And people, because of the hype of what was going on when they were trying to kill these giant traps and, and Barbara screams out, it's a Titan that maybe these kids thought they saw a Titan and it was really a natural weather occurrence or was it really a giant Rodrigo? That's up, that's up to you. Yeah. I think you can definitely read it that way, but I think that there is a very, very strong implication that this is a giant that, uh, Sophia has some connection to this mystical world and all the little could, because you know, if if this is all in her head, mm-hmm. why do the little fairies that she keeps seeing, why do they tell her that she's just hiding from her problems? Yeah. Like, the little fairies that she keeps seeing are basically tell her, you should face this head on. You should go talk to your mom. Right. And she blows them off. Right. Why would her own psyche that has been constructed around not dealing with this push her towards dealing with it? Yeah. The- well... I mean, from, go ahead. Matt. Her moment of clarity could come from anywhere, and they—I I believe that it's—you know—it seems relatively common in all the psychological things that I've seen on you know, criminal minds and ER and the like to have that <laughs> voice, your your rational mind, trying right. to come through and speak to you. I think that this story is very clearly and intentionally designed to where you can read it either way. The the way that I read it is that this weird girl actually did know that there were giants. And this Mm -hmm. weird girl is the only person who was able to recognize the giant's existence until it actually showed up. Right. But her real problem wasn't the giant. The fight with the giant was not what she actually needed to confront. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, and that's... I agree with you. I think that the that the giant and the fairies and all these things were real, but you had to be open to it. And it wasn't until all the kids were down there and they were talking about giants and it became a real big pivotal point that when the Titan appeared that they did all see it. And so they all do believe that this exists. So I kind of believe that in, in this case the Titans were real. But the interesting thing is when she fights and she ends up pulling her uh, big hammer out of her little purse, uh, it's a big-ass hammer. And it kind of got into a little bit of almost um, uh, Scott Pilgrim territory when I read that. Um, oh yeah! But she's fighting this Titan and says, "There's no way it can be defeated." And she's say- and she's yelling at the giant, saying, "You're not going to take my mother. You keep away. I will defeat you." And the Titan looks at her and says, "Barbara, I'm not here for your mother. I'm here for you." And it turns out it's a real powerful moment when he says that. And then she realizes that. Uh, what she's really afraid of is death. And can she overcome this fear of death and essentially defeat death is how I interpreted what the, the Titan represented. 
mm-hmm. and if she can defeat this specter of death, then she can, you know, she can overcome her problems. And there is a lot of big fighty, fighty and a and a lot of uh, you know a, a lot of special effects. What were you saying, Matthew? She doesn't overcome them because she comes to the realization that she says there isn't anything I could have done. It was there. Right. I mean, she realizes that literally this is going to happen. Her acceptance of whether or not her mother is going to die is not going to change the fact that her mother is going to die. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's a really adult concept to throw in the midst of this story. And I really like the fact that a concept like that comes into the story because it starts out. And, you know, again, the things that I read about it and the solicits kind of made me think this might be, you know, a saltwater taffy adventure story. Right. Of this right. smart, a- this smart ass girl who, you know, goes through the world on her own terms, but it's not really that at all. It's something more, which you don't always get, especially in a, you know, a limited series. It's not what I expected at the end, but it's, it's really wonderful. That last issue, issue seven, is really wonderful to read. Yeah. Just, it, you know, just watching her come back and, you know, dealing with the reality of what's going on. And what's cool is everyone thinks she's drowned. She's gone missing after this huge, quote unquote, storm that's uh, struck the, the coast where they live. Um, and everything, people are starting to think that she's dead. Should we get the mother involved? And then all of a sudden she shows up. And again, there's a big hammer on the porch, and she's like, hey, I smell bagels. Uh, you know, can I have some acting like nothing's going on? Everybody's relieved. And then she finally goes up and gets to spend a lot of time uh, with her mother over the summer uh, before she dies, before she passes away, and just really enjoys that time. You know, all throughout the book, she's terrified of going to her mother's room. She's terrified of walking by her mother's room. She's terrified of making a noise because she doesn't want to see her mother. And then after her mother passes, instead of being in like what I thought was like an art closet or something, um, she openly wants to sleep in her mother's room, in her mother's bed. And she's overcome that, uh, you know, that, that fear. And she's, she's accepted her mother's death and she's ready to move on with her life. And, Again, going back to maybe these giants are real, she has a confrontation at the end with the giant shows up and is just standing there in the water and looking at each w- at one another and uh, having a, a very quick exchange. Mm-hmm. I thought this was a and wonderful book. You can clearly make the case that nothing supernatural happened. Because oh, sure the girls could. running away, if the girls were running away from what was actually a tornado... right. And I think it's written ambiguously enough that they could have been running away from a tornado, but only Barbara, who, you know, was pretty much emotionally disturbed, stayed out to deal with it. Mm-hmm. But what comes out of it, and that, again, that last issue, that acceptance and the fact that the giant, whatever he represents, and I'm always really leery of saying, you know, that something, the artist obviously meant for this to be representative of the child's transition from a baby to woman. I don't know what the artist intended, but I do know what I read was that the giant was there to help her accept reality. Right. You know, she's not, she didn't need to kill the giant. She needed to come to terms with the giant. And I, I'm, I think I'm the only one of us to have lost a parent right. at this point in time. Right. right. And issue seven is, you know, very, very 
close to the kind of thing that I went through a few years ago. And I went through it at 37 years old. So right. I can imagine if you were a 15, 16 year old girl, this would be an entirely different matter. But I mean, it touches on some very difficult themes and it makes them a little more palatable and a little less, you know, emotionally scarring. Mm -hmm. So from that perspective, I think, you know, if you just look at it, was this art successful for me? Yeah. Because, you know, it made me think about, hey, you know, this is what happened. This is how that felt. And yeah, this actually is a really, it's, it's sad. It's tragic, but it's a really great ending for her. Yeah, and, and what's really interesting about this is um, Joe Kelly said in an interview, and I think this was over at Newsarama or CBR or something like that. In an interview, he was talking about how this idea came to him while his dad was going through some physical therapy because he had diabetes and uh, lost his leg. And so he was in physical therapy, and he had wrote basically everything down on a, on a yellow pad um, in, an, in an hour, and then his father did pass away. And then the first issue of this uh, book hit the stands a year after his father passed away. And so for him, this is his way of dealing with losing a parent. And I know that there's other people who have said that this book is really good at either helping them cope with that loss if they just re read it recently or putting things into perspective for them as well. Rodrigo? It's, it's pretty dead on as far as kind of the uh – the stages of, of grief and, you know, also with, with the final thought of there's, you know, there's with a disease like cancer, there's nothing you can do about it. Right. So you have to kind of accept it. Right. Um, right. I mean, my mom had cancer when I was in sixth grade. So it, it was, you know, roughly the same situation, except mm -hmm. I was a boy, but also was crazy. Um, <laughs> And my mom didn't actually die. Right. Um, but, you know, it, it, everything about it, everything about that whole situation really rang true. Yeah. Where it's like, you know, you go back and forth between not wanting to deal with it. And when you deal with it, you're completely terrified of it. And I don't think that changes, uh, you know, from children to adults. That's not something that, you know, the death of, of the people we love, that's not something that we're automatically equipped to handle. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. something that you kind of have to learn, and the only way to learn it is after it happens for the first time. Yeah. Right, and right, that's, right, right. Yeah. Um, here's uh, someone wrote in, Wigliff Smith. Gentlemen, I Kill Giants was an interesting read. The most compelling thing about it was the metaphor of killing giants presented throughout. The biggest factor that pulled me out of the story was the age Barbara is given. She speaks and behaves in a manner that seems more in line with someone closer to high school than middle school. Reading way too into the story, I was distracted by Barbara's ability to emote with her costume ears, which that's kind of a thing that happens too. She wears these little bunny ears um, just yep. to be different because she's weird. And the ears start to kind of take a life of their own, mimicking some of her mm -hmm. emotional state uh, throughout the story. But do you think that she's too, uh, that, that uh, Kelly wrote her too old for her age? Oh, I don't think so at all, but no. I, here's the thing, and this is going to sound like another one of those moments, you know, where I go, yes, I I try not to admit that I am the smartest person in the room, la-di-do-da. I remember being uh, this age and being, you know, ahead of the crowd or too advanced or, you know, emotionally further along than I should have been while also being completely ill-equipped to deal with these things. So 
I didn't find her to be anything other than, you know, a little bit ahead of the game on the intelligence curve without necessarily having the emotional maturity to deal with the things that she's, you know, trying to understand that she can quantify, but she can't really deal with. But I think that's going to be, that's another personal perspective on it. If it's something that, you know, is really bothersome to you, I don't know that there's anything that's going to overcome that. Yeah. Yeah. But I didn't. Well, get I didn't. I didn't think it was either because I kept reading this and thinking, you know, this is probably the way Matthew was when he was in middle school. Yeah, I was just trying from, to get, you know, aside from the girl part. I was just trying to keep from getting beat up by the by the school bully all the time. Yeah, I didn't so, keep my hammer in my purse. Yeah, my purse was full of comic books, but. Uh, writer for the site Mike McClarity says, "I Kill Giants" is one of my favorite graphic novels of all time. I even upgraded to the hardcover version. If you've ever experienced the loss of the parent, this book will conjure up a lot of new emotion. Oh, it's the afterwards. That's right. The afterwards in the book where Kelly goes on and talks about the book's creation. Rodrigo's got the copy there. Um, He says it was cathartic and a rewarding experience for grieving writer and someone who's lost both parents. This proved to be an occasionally difficult but equally beautiful story. I wholeheartedly recommend this to any comics aficionado who's not afraid to face against one of the most gigantic adversaries any of us will ever encounter death. Uh, it is a, it is a heavy, it is a heavy book. I, I was looking around to see what some other people had said and I forget the site and I apologize, but essentially it was, should you recommend this book to um, middle school and high school readers as part of a curriculum? Rodrigo. I, I, I don't know about that. I mean, there were a few things. There are a few things where, you know, if if a kid isn't going through this or hasn't gone through this, could mm-hmm. this work in the opposite direction? Could it frighten them against, you know, to, you know, the potential of their parents dying or something like that? Right. But something in their mind that isn't there already. Um, that's one. Two, the one thing that I was uncomfortable with about this whole thing is when she flips up, flips out and calls her gym teacher a bull dyke mm-hmm. which i you know i was like it, it it diminished the character in my mind because you know i'm i'm personally i'm perfectly fine with gay people um and to i know that she was lashing out and it it makes sense people say things they don't mean when they lash out but i was right. like i kind of expected more of this character yeah, yeah, in, yeah. in that sense and there's um, a lot of a language issue too i mean there's i mean there, the f-bomb yeah. is so not, but other words are thrown throughout the issue you know, are kids going to get what the scribbled out word balloons mean? You know, they might, they might not, but it'll, it, you know, uh, this is a, a surprisingly complex book. And I think that, uh, you know, if somebody was going to teach it, it would be okay. But to simply hand it to a kid wouldn't, wouldn't necessarily accomplish what I think you might want. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Matthew? I would have to say that. I, I, I wouldn't have a problem making it available to a middle school age child if they wanted to read it. I don't know that teaching it is going to have the same effect because in that middle school age, you get that weird rebound effect of I know everything, damn it. But I think that if it were, you know, if it were something that a middle, middle school age child said to me, I want to read this, presuming I was a hypothetical librarian, you yeah. know, like uh, my ex roommate. I wouldn't have a problem letting them read it so long as, you know, there's a, there's a lot of emotion to this. And that's something that, 
we don't necessarily think about it, but those middle school kids are dealing with really, really powerful emotions about, you know, chili dogs. Oh my God, <laughs> oh, they're yeah. out, they're out of beans. And then you yeah. flip the hell out. So yeah. something like this, I don't, I, I wouldn't be worried about it being overwhelming. I wouldn't be worried about it being, you know, too much. I think it would be something that if the kid was looking for something, if they were willing to, you know, take a chance on it, I would say yes. I don't know that I'd recommend it mm-hmm. to a person of that age, but I'm, I'm not a big recommender either. I'm I'm a big, hey, this is what I really thought was awesome about this, and then on next week's retro review, dot, dot, dot. So... All right. Britain 8090 says, this is one of those books that left my jaw on the floor, my brain all over the walls. At first, I had a hard time getting past the crazy loose artwork to figure out what was going on. But once I hit the ending and saw the art for what it was, in other words, seeing the world through the girl's eyes, it made me go back and read it all over again. I've got the paperback and can't wait to upgrade to the hardcover. I gave it to my dad, the first comic he'd read in 35 years, and he almost uh, cried. One of my all-time favorites and holds a special place on my bookshelf. Art-wise, Rodrigo? It is It is kind of a mouthful at first, honestly. There were times when I was like, I do not actually know what is going on in this panel. And I would look at it and look at it and look at it and I was like, nope, certainly don't know what's actually going on in this panel. Yeah. So it's something that you do have to get used to. Um, you know, I like highly stylized art. It's There's nothing wrong with it, but it is confusing at times. Um, and I, I mean, I don't know if, if it could have been improved or if it's just okay that it's kind of, uh, difficult to interpret sometimes, but it definitely does improve as you go, which I think is more of a, like you get used to it and you get, it's like when somebody has chicken scratch handwriting, but you read it several times and then you're like, Mm -hmm. Oh, that's supposed to be an I, you know, instead of a Q. Um, and I think the book kind of handwriting. Yeah, right. We've all seen it. Um, I think the 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 book. I mean, like you write anything anyway. You, <laughs> you're. I'm like, hey, Stephen, can you just like on a post-it note write down what the phone number is supposed to be? <laughs> Let me send it to you with my iPad. <laughs> Matthew, bottom um, line. Bottom line, Matthew. Bottom line, the art is like speaking to someone who has an accent learning to decode that accent and realizing that what they're saying is a hell of a lot deeper than you thought, but you were discounting it because they had this slight Castilian tinge to their English. I think that the story itself is really, really powerful, but it's something that sneaks up on you too. If you just read issue one and never came back for the rest of it, I think that you would not have the slightest idea what was going on or where the story was going. The ending surprised me. I liked that the ending surprised me. Yeah. I would definitely recommend it. I would say that, you know, I don't know if it's a must read because a lot of what's in here is specific to that comic art form, but it's a good example of the comic art form. And I would definitely say it's a, it's a find it and read it and see for yourself book. I want to kick myself for letting this sit on the shelf for a year and a half. I want to kick you too, but I, you know, I didn't know what to expect halfway through the book. I still didn't know what the hell was going on. And then boom, everything comes to the front and everything makes sense. It's worth, it takes you about an hour to read through the whole book. Um, but it's worth reading again and again. This is a book that I say is a must read. This is something that you really owe it to yourself to, 
to search out, to find it, to get it up on Amazon, buy the book and enjoy the hell out of it and, you know, soak in all the message for whatever it is that you want to get. Must buy for me. Rodrigo, final word. Um, If nothing else, I mean, I, I would certainly say go out, find it, buy it, read it. Um, and if you go out, find it, buy it, read it, and you don't like it, then you can still put it on your coffee table. All right. Thank you, Rodrigo. Thank you, Matthew. And thank you, listeners, for joining us this week on the show. Next week, we're going to go ahead and stick around with some deep topics. Let's talk mouse next week. Oh, deep book. Deep, deep book. We're going to be talking about that next week. Why? Because we know that you love comics, and we do too. And we'll talk with you soon. If you have any questions, comments, topic ideas for future shows, or would like to sponsor a show, send an email to podcast at majorspoilers.com. Visit Majorspoilers at Majorspoilers.com and be sure to check out the Major Spoilers forum. You can also follow Major Spoilers on Twitter at Twitter.com slash Majorspoilers and on MySpace at MySpace.com slash Majorspoilers. Fat the X-ray vision of a Superman I could save a few bucks and stand around And read through the covers of the comics on the stand But although every other page would be backwards I suppose I could still read the evens and the odds Well I don't know Guess I haven't thought this all the way through Plus as soon as the comic book store guy knew They kicked my butt out on the corner What a major spoiler What a major spoiler Way. If I was hulking green or gray, I could just bust through that brick wall, take their comic books away. But then the little meat would deal with all the tanks and bombs and guns. Have you ever tried to read a series with all that going on? Guess I need to rethink this plan. How would I back and board my comics with such huge hands? Guess I already told ya. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a major spoiler What a major spoiler If I was Stark Raven rich like a man of iron I might not be surprised to find That I might actually have the heart cold To follow an entire storyline But would I really even need To read upon all those escapades I mean, who needs such distractions When your sister's such a babe But the downside is such a beast Being shot up in a fun Be in the Middle East With a King Santo and soldier what a major spoiler What a major spoiler Yeah, yeah, yeah What a major spoiler Whoa, 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 whoa. What a major spoiler This has been a Major Spoilers podcast Copyright 2011 Goodbye See you on the next show